There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From Equity Mates Media, this is The Dive. I'm your host, Sasha Kelly. This October, shoppers in Japanese supermarkets are seeing the biggest price hike in almost two generations. For the past year, Japan's supermarket industry has shielded customers from a 48% rise in import prices. Much of that driven by the high cost of energy and the sustained collapse of the yen to a 24-year low against the US dollar. But retailers are now passing on these price hikes to individuals. And the Japanese government is worried because the country has a huge reliance on international imports. Only 38% of the food needed to feed the Japanese population is made on its own shores. It's Wednesday, the 5th of October, and today I want to know, can Japan feed itself? To do this, I'm joined by my colleague here at Equity Mates. It's Darcy Cordell. Darcy, welcome. Thanks, Sasha. Great to be with you. And I've got a question straight off the bat. Japanese food is amazing. What do you order if you're in a Japanese restaurant? I love tempura udons and any type of sushi, seared salmon, I love it. Oh, you're making me really hungry and it's not even lunchtime. (laughs) We'll (laughs) get there. (laughs) So to provide some context here, Japan has a very high quality, as we're talking about, sushi is amazing, but low self-sufficiency food system. The Japanese rely heavily on imported food and they don't produce much of their own. Can you give me a bit more context about this? You mentioned in the intro, Japan's food self-sufficiency rate is just 38%. That's one of the lowest in the world. World. So it only produces enough food itself to cater for 38% of the population. In Japan, shoppers have been used to decades of stable or falling prices. So when inflation finally hit, it came as a huge shock. For comparison, Australia has a self-sufficiency rate of over 170%. The US is about 120% and Argentina leads the world at 270%. Wow, so they could almost feed themselves twice over in Argentina. Almost three times. Wow. Wow. So Japan's famous culinary scene is very much dependent on the outside world. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, their food system has been the perfect example of why countries push for globalisation. They've had such a strong economy and food prices have been relatively stable, which means that Japan can buy whatever it likes from wherever in the world and not be too concerned about price. But that freedom is quickly disappearing, Sasha. Now their greatest strength, importing food from around the world, could be turning into their greatest weakness. There's a bit of a nasty combination of factors Japan is facing at the moment, which is affecting their food retail industry. We have to be creative. When vegetables are very expensive, we'll use more seaweed, for example. People's salaries haven't gone up, so we're still trying to absorb the higher costs as much as possible. So Japan has a diminishing ability to feed itself, and that is compounded by the news we're talking about here. Japanese food retailers increased their prices heavily this week because it's the start of October. Can you tell me why this has suddenly happened? For more than 40 years, this corn snack cost 10 yen here. 
It's now 12 yen, or about a two cents raise. It's not a lot at all, but here in Japan, raising prices is a big deal. Partly because people's wages haven't gone up since the 90s. Prices have been on the rise throughout the year, but October the 1st was the biggest collective jump in a long time. Supermarkets and food retailers, they generally try to protect consumers from hefty increases, but they said this week if they didn't pass on these price increases, they really wouldn't be able to operate anymore. And prices rose because of two main reasons, soaring material costs and a weaker Japanese yen. This is all compounded by the ongoing war in Ukraine. The prices of wheat and cooking oil, which are pretty essential ingredients in Japanese food, they've been soaring. And then you've got the weak yen, which means the cost of importing food is greater. You just need more yen to buy the same amount of materials from overseas if the yen's value is falling. And we know how reliant Japan is on importing its food. Yeah, currency conversations. We did that episode a couple of weeks ago with Alec and that just explained how all of those import factors are affected by currency Mm. changes. So what did we actually see happen in supermarkets and liquor stores this weekend, which marked the beginning of October? So the prices of nearly 7,000 daily food items soared overnight. Research firms says in the months to come, over 20,000 food products will see their retail price driven up. This will hike the average household cost by more than 5,730 yen. That is nearly $40. 105 major beverage makers also raised the prices of about 7,000 products as well. Four major breweries hiked prices and overall retail prices increased between 4 to 13%. Remember, this is just pretty much overnight. But more than that, in a society which believes in sharing social burdens, it's almost a cultural taboo. So much so that the company which makes this launched an ad campaign to explain why they had to do so. To give you an example, the price of a can of Asahi Super Dry Beer, one of my favourites. <laughs> You've got to have a reference point to your own your own taste. <laughs> this one jumped out at me. So a can of Asahi now costs between 210 and 220 yen, where the price before was around 200 or just below. And at the moment, 100 yen is about 70 cents in US dollars. Basically, the yen's value has collapsed. Exactly right. So that might seem cheap, but it's a significant jump in prices. And unfortunately, it looks like it might continue. We actually saw consumers rush to stock up on things like beer and other sort of non-perishable items and drinks before the price increases came into effect. I mean, we can all sympathise. We all need to shop, to eat, to live, so it's not a good situation to be in. Let's take a quick break here and then I want to find out how Japan actually got itself into this position. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to The Dive. Darcy, today we're talking about the rise, the rapid rise in food costs 
in Japan. We talked about Japan having a diminishing ability to feed itself and this being an example of the effects of globalization. So can we unpick a little bit more about how this happened? A traditional diet in Japan it consists of a few core ingredients. You've got rice, fish, soybeans and pretty much whatever vegetables are in season at the time. So as Japan became a real global power after World War II and the average income per capita increased, it led to a boom in global trade. And with that came a real taste for more Western foods, high appetite for wheat, meat, dairy products, eggs and increasing amounts of fats and oils. And that, I guess you could call it expanding of the palate, Mm. is also attributed to more travel and television. I mean, that makes complete sense because, you know, you see travel documentaries and if you yourself get the opportunity, the lucky opportunity to travel, you know, the first time you taste Italian gelato or anything or a French bakery, it can shift your understanding of what's possible completely. I can vouch for that, (laughs) Sasha. (laughs) There are also lifestyle changes that occur with a changing workforce. The growing ranks of working women and single people, it really upped the embrace of fast food in Japan. Japan actually has the third largest number of McDonald's outlets after the US and China. And fast food is appealing for its convenience. Younger people say that cooking Japanese rice properly involves soaking grains for up to an hour beforehand and it's just too time-consuming. That does sound time-consuming. I know that, like, long meals for me are a Saturday or Sunday specialty. I'm not doing that stuff during the week. Young professionals don't have time. (laughs) We're too busy making (laughs) podcasts, Darcy. (laughs) Or or they'd rather grab toast or yoghurt rather than preparing a traditional meal that would be rice, miso soup and some fish. So the average Japanese person now eats 53 kilograms of rice per year But that's less than half of what it was back in the 1960s. 53 kilograms, though, of rice. That still sounds like a lot of rice to be eating in a year. It is, but... 365 days, I don't know, maybe a couple spoonfuls a day. That's true, that's true. You've got to divide it, you've got to do that (laughs) that mathematics. And it's the same story for seafood, Sasha. They're now seeing consumption at under 25 kilos a year when it was over 40 kilograms two decades ago. And then when people are buying fish, they're preferring salmon and mackerel from Norway or Chile instead of the local options. And Darcy, it's interesting because there's plenty of countries with a proud and rich culinary history. Alongside Japan, I'm thinking of Italy, of France, Mexico. And this story of globalisation, that could affect any of these countries. But what makes it so different with Japan is the lack of local production. Exactly right. Japan does have domestically raised beef, but it's fed with imported grains from other countries. Almost all of the wheat that Japan consumes, it's shipped in from the US, Canada and Australia. Japan does have some production of wheat, but it's fallen to virtually nothing thanks to an ageing and shrinking farming population. It's all led to that figure I mentioned earlier, Sasha, 38%. Japan only produces enough food to feed 38% of its population. But that hasn't been a major issue until now. I'm reading that the Japanese government is very worried. What are they suggesting to be put in place to get out of this situation? Well, um, Prime Minister Kishida made an announcement last night. He unveiled the sort of draft of his plan, which he's been talking about for months since he uh, took office in October last year. The basic tenets are to um, create a more equitable society and at the same time encourage growth. I guess you can look at it in a positive light that politicians are recognising this is a bit of a looming problem. 
Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has unveiled a new capitalism program which devotes a full section to reviving the agricultural industry and deploying new technologies to make the sector more attractive to younger workers. But we are yet to see too much action come into effect. Japan's decreasing food security is unfortunately a bit of a symbol for the country's decline as an economic superpower and in some ways the movement away from a globalised economic system. I don't want to leave it on a sour note, but if tensions between Taipei and Beijing escalate into a military conflict in the Taiwan Strait, disruption to their vital shipping route would be really crippling for Japan's food imports. Let's leave it there for today. If you enjoyed this episode, then please tell a friend about it. It really is just the best way for our podcast to grow and we want to grow. So take a screenshot, go to our Instagram, send it to a friend. We would love the support. And if you're new to the podcast, then a warm welcome from all of us here at The Dive. Go check out our back catalogue. We've got some great episodes that we're super proud of. We've just recently launched something new. Alongside this episode, there's a short headlines companion that just gives you the business news from all around the world. Today, we travel to the US, the UK and Bangladesh. You can find that right next to this episode in your podcast feed. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram. We're at thedive.businessnews. You can contact us via email, thedive at equitymates.com. And you can subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining me today, Darcy. Off to get some sashimi for lunch. See you at lunch. Okay, until next time. The Dive is a product of Equity Mates Media. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of The Dive acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The hosts of The Dive are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. 